Welcome to the Cybersecurity Simplified Podcast, where we take the mystery out of today's top security threats and solutions. What do cybersecurity and ranching have in common? A bit of wrangling, a lot of bull, and CISO Alan Alford, host of the Cyber Ranch Podcast. Alan's 20-year cybersecurity journey includes serving as CISO four different times in three industries and working with companies from five to 50,000 employees. He is currently focusing on getting actual value from your tech stack and adding a human perspective to cybersecurity. So saddle up and settle in. In this episode of Cybersecurity Simplified, we will ride the cyber trails wherever Alan's experience takes us. Hi, everyone. I'm your co-host, Susanna Song. And I'm Dave Barton. And we've got quite a treat. I love it. I love the cyber rancher analogy uh, with our guest, Alan Alford. So welcome, Alan. Thank you. It's really good to be here. And David, uh, this is your friend or your uh, your acquaintance. Both of you guys were CISOs. Tell me a little bit about uh, how you got to know Alan. Uh, well, it wasn't it wasn't on the uh, the the cow trail by by chance. <laughs> it, uh, although we were dealing with the same output that you'd see on a cow trail. Um, <laughs> we we uh, we've known each other for years. Um, we, we run in the same circle with the, we have a ton of the same people in common and we just okay. happen to get to know each other. Um, he, you know, I, I don't say this too often. So Alan, you know, you didn't hear this from me, uh, but he is one of the smartest security people I know. Um, and so when I asked him, you know, would you mind joining us and just, let's just talk off the cuff and, and, and see what interests our audience. And he said, sure. So uh, happy to have him here. I uh, consider him a friend and, uh, again, smart dude. Alan, so we've got thousands of podcast listeners who actually <laughs> probably have listened to you and your podcast. Tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you get to, you know, where you're at right now and in, including your podcast? Right. So I started in IT, um, Standard IT operations worked my way up to, you know, the point where I was running a third of a global company's IT infrastructure and personnel and, you know, doing the full IT operations thing. And I was the one who was focused on security and IT at that time at a video conferencing company. And I was asked by engineering uh, to quit complaining about the security issues after they had released the product and instead come over to engineering and help them make the product secure in the first place. So I suddenly right. left a, a lucrative IT career and became a product security person in engineering. Uh, rapidly rose the ranks there, grew, formed an entire product security team, uh, got very successful, helped develop an entire product line of, you know, secure products. And eventually the new CIO came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, didn't you used to be one of us? And I said, yes, I did. And he said, how would you like to come over and be my CISO? And I was like, but I'm liking this product thing. He said, bring it with you and you can run all the security for everything. And I was like, deal. So all of a sudden I'm a CISO. Um, flash forward, done that a few times. Uh, I was a guest on a number of podcasts and really enjoyed the experience and just decided I'm going to branch out and start, you know, I had a, another show I did with a partner and decided about a year and a half ago, I'm going to branch out and start my own show. So been in cyber all these years, been a CISO many, many times and been podcasting now for a grand total of probably almost four years now. Yeah. How many episodes have you got, Alan? Uh, cyber Ranch has got, I think we just released 78 this morning. Wow. 78 came out this morning. Nice. Yeah, awesome. This is episode 30. So For you us. are 30. We're, we're way behind, but we're getting there. Tell me a little bit about your 
your background. What is, why is the ranch so important? Right on. So I'm a sixth generation Texan, Um, grew up in the big city in Houston, you know, three and a half million people at the time I lived there. Uh, This was in the boom before the the big bust reduced the population again. Um, But we had land out in the country and I grew up with cows and horses and goats and chickens and, you know, hunting deer and doing all those Texas country things as well. And that was literally almost every single weekend of my entire childhood. I was out in the country doing country stuff. So I just, it's just, it's just a thing for me. It's just kind of intrinsic. I've been, you know, I was, I was at a punk rock club Saturday night and Sunday morning. I was, I was roping, uh, roping goats, you know, like <laughs> kind of mixing that city life and that, and that rural life together. And, you know, I'm, I've continued the tradition as we speak, my daughter is riding horses today. Um, so yeah, just, uh, that's awesome. Kind of intrinsic to my my personality, my family, and my culture. That's probably why we get along so well. Because you know, I grew up in in rural Iowa, and and while we didn't have some of the same livestock you did, you know, dealing with the same issues yeah. out out with sheep and cows and horses and picking picking corn and you know all farm that boys stuff. farm farm stuff. Yeah. yeah, farm stuff. Yeah, I. I want to know, I, I teased uh, the similarity between cybersecurity and ranching, but in your opinion, tell me what's the common denominator? What, what's, what are the, what's the commonality uh, thematically between the two? Well, so, you know, when you're ranching, you've got a lot of long rides in front of you. You're going to be on a horse. You're going to be riding all over the, the, the property. And, you know, sometimes it's trail rides. And of course the old cowboys used to do trail rides all the way through the entire country almost. And, you know, long journeys and in, in, in a situation that isn't necessarily the most comfortable seating. Um, and I think that's a good analogy for cyber right there. That Especially for a seat, though. The seat yeah, is never comfortable. Exactly. You, you've got a, you got a rough ride in front of you. you got a long ride in front of you. I think that's a good analogy. And then there's just the idea that you're trying to get everybody corralled together and, 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 and heading the same direction. And some of those somebody you're trying to corral might weigh two tons versus you're just a CISO on a horseback, um, you know. Getting, getting a two-ton animal to move the way you need it to, along with all the other two-ton animals, I think it's a really good analogy there. And, and I think Dave pointed out, too, I think there's some output on the trail that's mm-hmm. similar to what we deal with as well. Are you so protecting... Al- Go, Go ahead, ahead No, I'm good. No, I was going to say, and you're protecting your livestock from, from the bad guys, the bad, yeah. the wolves, are, per se. You are, you are. And, and I think, I think there's, there's threats. Um, there's, there's the idea that sometimes this two-ton animal doesn't want to move where you want it to move, but you know, the, the, the animal doesn't understand like stay out here and you're going to get attacked by wolves or bears or cougars or whatever it might be, or bitten right. by rattlesnakes or whatever, you know, come over here. This is where it's safe. Let's get you in the corral. I think there's a definite analogy there. You're, you're protecting entities that sometimes don't even realize they need protection and don't necessarily want to cooperate uh, because they don't understand the threats. Right. So, Alan, switching gears a little bit, um, or I was going to come up with a really bad uh, horse pun there. I'm not going to. Switching gears a little bit, there's there's some interesting threats coming out in the cyberspace today. Um, And there's some interesting ways that people are talking about combating those threats. What, what, What do you see... Next three years as maybe the top two or three things we should be thinking about, whether, yeah. whether they're here today or, or you think we're going to start to see them over the next three years. 
I think ransomware continues to be in the top tier. Uh, it might even Agreed. remain as number one over the next three years. That ransomware just continues. And that's ransomware coming from a couple of different threat vectors, right? One is good old-fashioned phishing and, you know, nabbing people's credentials and getting in that way. Yep. The other is zero days and or unpatched attack surface where they can punch in from the outside as well. And it's interesting. I just did a show. Uh, we just recorded an episode of my show that hasn't even released yet. And uh, a friend of mine has gone and done a ton of research trying to debunk popular myths and popular concepts in cyber. Right. And he uncovered this idea, you know, that I, I've heard figures anywhere from 50 to 70% of all ransomware attacks are because of unpatched attack surface. He's done a ton of research and has determined that that number is actually much smaller than we all seem to think it is. Hmm. That it's still largely a credential activity. Okay. Um, so, so I think I think in either case that persists, and I think you know that's that's one factor we're going to have to deal with. Then, flash forward and look at Solar Winds. Um, Solar Winds to me was the tip of a very, very, very big and very ugly iceberg. It's um, it's supply chain, it's software supply chain, it's software that is intrinsic to our environment that helps us talk about, look at, detect, see, and sure. touch nearly everything. Yep. And obviously, a very, very ripe target. You compromise that software chain, and you've compromised tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, possibly even millions of endpoints around the world. And I think that we caught that one. We saw that one. We dealt with that one. Um, that tells me there's probably another five or 10 that haven't been caught yet. Yeah. And I think anybody whose software touches everything is a right. Target. Is a risk. Absolutely. I, and honestly, Alan, I've been talking a little bit about this. We saw SolarWinds morph into the exchange issue, right? Because it, it was an outcome of the solar winds breach. I still think there's probably four or five big ones we don't know about yet. Absolutely. Solar winds was in that environment and they, they, they use that to get, grab data, grab source code. And some of these zero days that are so effective we've seen in the last four or five months, I think if, if I could go back and decompile and, and run forensics, I, I think we'd find, feelers or touch points back to that solar winds breach right where it's a second stage operation exactly and, and then even ignoring that ignoring the fact that it could be a chain of activity you have to look at things like um i mean just whatever aws you know we all know oh open s3 bucket oh you let your credentials out oh you know da, da, right. da. we all know the million and one things you can do wrong in aws right i have yet to see the big giant vulnerability in aws itself right me it's too. inevitable that one day we will see such a thing. That's right. No yep. way you can have that large and that complex a software environment and not have somebody uncover some really critical flaw in the system, right? I mean, look at look at the Windows operating system. You know, they've been hammering on it for years at Microsoft to make it as tight as possible. Right. And still every few years, somebody finds this radical, you know, intrinsic to the OS. They have to actually rework the way they do things. You know, right. look at look at the uh, the Intel CPU vulnerabilities. It's the same phenomenon. Sooner or later, we're going to see the big one, and it's going to be in one of the hosted clouds, Amazon, Azure, Google, whoever it might be. We're going to see a big one there, and it's going to be a boat rocker for sure because, again, compromise that environment, compromise everybody's source code, and we're back to that second stage phenomenon yep. being entirely possible. So, So to me, that's number two. Supply chain is number two. Okay. And number three, I think, is stuff we haven't even really seen yet. I think, um, you know, people keep talking about quantum computing on the defensive side. Uh, quantum computing on the offensive side hasn't even really begun yet, hasn't even ramped no, up yet. It is. Uh, You're even right. if it's not true quantum, I think we're still going to see advances in compute power. We're going to see advances in algorithms, and we're going to see the bad guys be able to up their technical games such that 
you know, we it's always a race of Iron Christian needs to be this strong because it'll take them X hours to decrypt and now it needs right. to be this strong because it's Y hours and da da da. We're going to see a major hop where the bad guys get a big edge on us and we're going to have to completely rethink encryption. You're right. And I think that's coming too. Can you elaborate a little bit on the quantum computing? What is that exactly? So I'm not an expert on quantum by any stretch of the imagination, but the whole idea is that it's computing not based on zeros and ones in silicon, but it's computing based on quantum physics, based on the, the manipulations and movements of what, what at the surface glance seem to be much more chaotic, um, but that actually have some control and some predictability about them. And so you end up with an accelerated degree of capability far beyond anything with today's hardware, just just far beyond it. Interesting. Dave, you may have something to add to that one. That's no, about, that's about I, my level of expertise right there. Yeah, I, I, at the end of the day, Susanna, what quantum computing represents is uh, a shrinking of, for example, you know, 128-bit keys. Uh, I think used to be 10 years ago, there was, um, you know, take 20 years to, to crack, right, with the, with the computing power we had. With quantum computing, it's going to take seconds. Right. Yeah. And so the, we even into Alan's point, even as we continue to grow our key lengths, you know, to 1024, 2048, whatever, um, we're going to end up with encryption that with enough quantum computing can be cracked real time. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, th think about the implications for just defending our country, our all of our communications between our troops and, uh, you know, active ops. It's all encrypted communications, but if I could sit in the middle and decrypt that real time and I could know that there's an event happening or start to disrupt our, our armed services, potentially disrupt their ability to do computing in general, right? Mm -hmm. That's huge. Yeah. And so there's a lot of risk to this. And, and, and that's why, you know, people like Alan and, and I've been thinking about this for a while too, is how do we get our arms around that? And, and I don't. I don't know. We have an answer yet, but but I think Alan, to your point, you know, ransomware is a indication that there's money to be made, right? Mm -hmm. Quantum computing, the bad guys get their hands on it. It's going to be about stealing our stuff and stealing our money. It's yeah. still going to be the problem we have to solve. Yep. Mm -hmm. at, at the end of the day, you know, the criminals are. Eh, you have to stop and think about it from the perspective of what's the actual impact of a bad guy event in cyber, right? That's right. It's either theft or vandalism. Everything, everything is reduced to those two. Vandalism, there's no profit in. Right. Vandalism is just, you know, hacktivism and defacing a website or crashing somebody's database or denial of service attack. These are all kind of in that vandalism space. There's well, no gain. And those guys, those guys, Alan, don't have the money to go after quantum. But right. the other right. piece you're about to talk right. about is where right. our risk is. Exactly. When you get to the theft piece, now you're talking about a business arrangement. You're talking about investing in your business to make gains, right? So if if I could um, build a bunch of, uh, you know, like Bitcoin mining farms and uh, mine a bunch of Bitcoin, I can invest in hardware, I can invest in software, I can invest time, electricity, and money, and gain something on the back end. Yep. The bad guys that run ransomware campaigns and everything else, it's the same exact calculus in physics. If I throw more computing power at it, will I make more money off the back end? If I throw more bodies at it, will I make more money off the back end? If I take the time to research and hire researchers to find zero-day vulnerabilities, will I make more money off the back end? And the answer is yes, 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 and yes. And so um, quantum is just going to be another another escalation in their in their path, and it's just an investment for them, and on they go. 
Yeah, that, that's definitely interesting. Something I, I, I want to read up more on. Tell us a little bit about uh, your focus. I think this is really interesting. On getting what, what does it mean to get actual value from your tech stack? Yeah. So your approach to that. To, to me, we've got sort of you know people, process, and technology is the three-legged stool people always talk about in cyber, and you can question the value of any one of those at any given time. And you have to question that value and you have to try to measure the efficacy of those three in some uniform way that you can report, you know, to yourself, to your peers, to your team, and most importantly upstairs. And so we have a lot of popular methods for doing that. We've come up with things like frameworks, NIST CSF 1.1, how compliant with the framework are you, right? That, that's one thing. Uh, CMMI, the maturity scale, zero to five, you know, we've come up with a, how, how mature are you? Um, People have tried very, very hard to come up with return on investment figures as well. You know, what is the cost of the risk? We've got risk quantification. That's right. What is the cost of the fix, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of effort and a lot of work people are doing in a lot of different spaces and ways to try to solve and settle that problem. For me, I joined a company that does cybersecurity performance management, um, CISO and CTO there. And what we're trying to do is not so much the risk quantification as much as the remediation quantification. We're tackling what does the back end look like? And mm-hmm. so assuming you've come up with a satisfactory formula for risk, and it might be the traditional five by five matrix, you might get into fair or some of the, some of the more right. esoteric <clears throat> stuff. At some point you should be able to roughly value, you know, put a, put a value on the risk. We're there to help you solve the uh, what is the cost of remediation problem as well as overlay that CMMI maturity scale. And I've come up with a new three-legged stool that I call um, maturity, business objective alignment, and risks reduced, right? And if you can be demonstrating those three things simultaneously, here's the number of known risks that I'm reducing, and here's the value associated with them. Here's the business objective alignment that I'm achieving. Mm -hmm. And here's the maturity I'm impacting and affecting by doing this. And if you can overlay that maturity across any and all frameworks that you choose to use with a uniform applicability of maturity, now you're really cooking with gas. And so that's, that's kind of the approach that we're settling with. And that's, that's what we're tackling where I work. How, how have your uh, clients been responsive to that? The three people, people are loving it. We're getting a lot of adoption. We're getting a lot of uh, dramatic growth in the market for sure. Um, I think it resonates. I think CISOs have been looking for a way to, have a one-stop shop to explain the value of their program, right? Like, right. And, and to play the predictability game as well of where am I going to invest and what am I going to spend and what gives me the most bang for the buck? Well, if I spend 10,000 here, I can reduce that risk yep. and alter that maturity score. And I can align with those business objectives versus if I spend it over here, it's three different things. And, and so you get some predictability and you get some reportability and you get to sort of demonstrate the value of everything you're doing, people, process, and technology, all three. And you'll find, you know, as you dig in, and this is where the framework intersection gets really interesting, you can find that you've got tech stack spend that's absolutely almost useless to you. Mm-hmm. And that's where it gets really interesting because rationalizing the tech stack should always be done from a perspective, not just of simplification, which of course is always a good goal in its own right. But if I'm spending a million dollars over here and I'm spending a million dollars over there and this million dollars is only giving me X amount on the business objective risk and maturity scales, and this is giving me Y amounts, you know, Ooh, why am I even spending that million at all? So it's not right. just simplification of overlap of what the technology does, but simplification and overlap of utility, just general yeah. utility, right? Mm-hmm. So do you audit clients? How do, how do you approach it? We have a services branch, but we keep it very, very, very small. Uh, the goal of our solution was to productize it and get it to where people could be self-sufficient with it. And so, it. you know, we, we, we have minimal services and that's kind of one of our brags actually is 
you can do this without us, you know? Yeah. Well, any final thoughts, David uh, and Alan? Uh, Alan, I'd love for you to give me in two or three sentences, you know, your thoughts around where cybersecurity is headed. Uh, some of it could be what, what you've already talked about, but uh, for our guests, or sorry, for our, our listeners who, um, who tune in biweekly, what kind of advice or trends, insights can you offer? Yeah, so I, I think for me, the most disturbing trend of all in cyber, and I'm, I'm as guilty of participating in this trend as anybody, is that the size of the industry is increasing dramatically in terms of the, you know, the, the billions of dollars this industry represents. Um, the, the amount of efficacy we're seeing in reducing the threats and taking care of the ransomwares and the breaches and the denials of service and everything else is not proportionally increasing. In fact, sometimes it's going the wrong direction. So if we're spending more and more and more money and we're not seeing the return on investment in terms of actually solving the cyber problems, then we still have a very big, very fundamental conversation that we all have to sit down and have. And this is everybody. This is the practitioners. This is the vendors. This is the theorists. This is the academicians with the PhDs that are cranking out stuff like quantum computing and new encryption algorithms and whatever else. This is the entire cyber community needs to really sit down, look in the mirror and have a real heart to heart with how do we solve these problems more effectively. And I don't know that I've got even the beginnings of an answer to that challenge, but I think that's the single biggest threat that we face as an industry, as practitioners, as folks that try to protect others for a living, I think we really need to sit down and have that conversation. Agree. Good stuff. We definitely uh, appreciate you joining us, Alan. Um, I always enjoy hearing your perspective because you you, you work in some different circles than I do. So Mm -hmm. good stuff. Um, Where can they go? Where can our listeners go if they want to learn more about what you do? Uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, first of all, Alan Alford, okay. A-L-L-A-N, uh, Alford, A-L-F-O-R-D. I think I'm just I-N, Alan Alford. I was in early enough to not have numbers or anything after my name. Right. Uh, so I'm just LinkedIn slash N slash Alan Alford. Uh, you can always find the Cyber Ranch podcast as well. I'm hosted over at Hacker Valley Media. Um, it's a weekly show. Um, I'm also distributed everywhere, Spotify, Google, Apple, Amazon, blah, 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 all okay. the major platforms. Uh, so feel free to check out the show there, but definitely reach out on LinkedIn. I'm always glad to chat and connect with folks. Well, and if they want to learn more about your company. Oh, at TrustMap, uh, that's easy. TrustMap.com, T-R-U-S-T-M-A-P-P.com. TrustMap with two P's.com. And you're welcome to come check us out there as well. Cool. Well, thank you. So thank you so much. Thank you, David, my co-host. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. If you have feedback about today's podcast, um, please contact us at podcast at highwirenetworks.com or leave a comment below. And be sure to join us for our next episode on the front lines with the DOD's new cybersecurity certification. Until next time, I'm Susanna Song. And I'm Dave Barton. And this is Cybersecurity Simplified. From all of us here at Overwatch by Highwire Networks, thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Cybersecurity Simplified podcast. To learn more, visit us at highwirenetworks.com slash podcast.